than just groaning, you know, put some words together. Now the groanings are the deeper things sometimes. Um, and that is a reality of this life, isn't it? Amen? That we, that we groan. That we groan and we sigh. Uh, but Alan, I'd greatly appreciate it, brother, because God is at work in all that stuff. And I know that there's a lot going on in the midst of our church, of our body right now, where there's a lot of groaning. There's a lot of sighing. And guys, that is common to this Christian life. It's hard. There will be some people that tell you that it's not. There will be some people that tell you that, no, if you just have enough faith that that stuff will all go away, that you won't have to groan, that you won't have to sigh. But guys, we follow a Savior who was crucified. And he said, if anybody wants to come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Um, That's our Savior. That's our Messiah. He's our example. Um, And if they hated him, at times they're going to hate us, not just other people. But we have a very real enemy the enemy of our soul, Satan, the devil himself, um, and his demons that are trying to uh, not just annoy us. We think sometimes it's that, that's all he wants to do, but the Bible makes it clear. In fact, Jesus said it in John 10 that he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he's after, okay? And so that's how we do battle. But now and I appreciate that uh, because it goes in well, and just you doing that leads in well to what we want to talk about today. If you got your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we'll be. Um, We've been in a series uh, for the first couple weeks of this year called Who We Are, and what we're talking about is our corporate identity as the church. So we have individual identities in Christ, and the individual, I mean, this is true for us individually too, um, in a sense that we're his children, that we're his family. But, but, But the bigger idea here is that it's who we are corporately, that together we have an identity um, in Christ and who he's made us to be. And so far, I just want to review what we've kind of looked at so far, if I can get that slide up there, Connor. We've looked that we are bride, that we are family, and that we are body. And I just want to show you very quickly some of the um, just symmetry, I guess, between these things and the way this works. The first week we looked that we are bride. That's our identity, okay? That Jesus is the lover of our soul, that Christ, God's identity, is that of our husband. We are the bride, he is our husband, and his will for us is purity. A couple weeks ago, before we had Snowmageddon last week, um, we looked and saw that our, the next primary metaphor that's given in the New Testament is our, for our, our identity corporately is that of family, okay? And it ties in with God's identity, with God as Father, and, as, and with Jesus as our perfect older brother, our perfect older brother who went to the cross, who was forsaken, left God's table, stepped down into darkness so that there would be room at God's table for us through his sacrifice on the cross. And his will for us is to pursue unity. His will is for us to pursue unity. And today, the one we're going to look at is that we are his body. We are the body of Christ. Each one of us collect individually is not in and of ourselves the body but we are each members of the body we are different parts of the body jesus is the head the head gives commands to every part of the body and his will for us and this is what i want to look at this morning is maturity his will for us is maturity and hopefully out of that you can see that how our identity drives our function how who we are drives what we do. The who drives the do. The who drives the do. Understanding our identity helps inform the way that we are to function in the world, that we are to pursue purity, we're to pursue unity. And today we're going to look and see that 
we need to pursue maturity. Because can we just agree here from the outset that when kids act like kids, it's cute, right? When adults act like kids, it's not cute, right? I could give you a thousand examples of that, okay? You know, a kid wets their pants, oops, accident. Happens with an adult, not so much. Um, A kid throws a little fit when he's told what to do and just puts that little pouty lip out. Yeah, disobedient, not gonna let it go, but kinda cute. When When an adult acts that way, not so much, right? Um, God's will for us is maturity. And just like we've seen in each one of these other things that as the bride, he has made us pure, but we also pursue purity. As his family, he has made us one, but we still pursue unity. And as his body, he's made us mature, but we still pursue maturity. That is our call. We have a responsibility in this. And it's not cute when we're not mature, guys. It's not cute when we as the church act like children. Because as we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 4 today, God's will for us is to grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we are a body that is worthy and functional and obedient to our glorious head, Christ himself, who has a mission that he's wanting to carry carry out. And so, Go to Ephesians chapter 4. There's three primary questions that I want to focus in on and answer from this text. Uh, The first is, what is maturity? Secondly, how does maturity happen? And then lastly, what's at stake? But I just want to jump in in Ephesians chapter 4 and begin to read and talk a little bit. And then kind of the heart of what I want to get to is somewhere around verses 12 through 16. Uh, But we'll kind of make our way through the whole chapter. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, this is our attitude, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us. Okay, now, and the grace that he's speaking about here isn't just the grace of our salvation, but as you're going to see here in just a couple verses as I continue to read, he's speaking about specific gifts that he has given to the body, that each one of us is not the same, but we are different parts. We've been given different gifts as different members of the body. These are grace gifts that he gives to us. So again, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So it's up to him. He makes you the way he makes you. He makes us the way he makes us for his honor, for his glory. Verse 8 says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And there's a very specific image here that I don't just want to gloss over, although I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. And it's that of a conquering king or a general that has gone off and has defeated another army, has plundered them. And has taken the spoils from war and now comes back and he is leading his army in triumphal entry. Triumphal procession. And he takes the spoils of the enemy's camp and he gives them away to the people that he represents. And this is what Christ does. He came. 
He plundered the enemy on the cross, went into the grave, three days, totally dead, but then on the third day, rose again. Comes out victorious over Satan, sin, and death. All authority in heaven and on earth given to him. And he gives the spoils to us that we would use them for his honor and glory. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things, that Christ be all in all. Verse 11, and here he lists some of the specific giftings of people that he, how he makes them, how he shapes them. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all, every one of us, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay? And here's where I want to begin to ask and answer the first question, just simply, what is maturity? What does it mean for us to be mature? And what Paul gives us here is not necessarily just a abstract kind of um, uh, dictionary definition, as more as he gives some, some very clear imagery, a very concrete image, um, and a very critical clue that I want to talk about. And this is in verses, end of verse 12, 13, and then he kind of rolls with it into 14. But the first one, the concrete image. Here's the image that he gives, okay? Um, it's that of a ship, a big ship, like a wartime ship, that is either manned, that either has people that are on it doing all their specific jobs to keep the thing going, or it's of a ship that is just simply adrift at sea. At the end of verse 13, he says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In the, in the original language, this is a very specific image that he's trying to get across. It's that of either a ship that's just floating out there, tossed to and fro, and that's why he goes on in verse 14, and he says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul's saying, what maturity looks like is you have a destination that Jesus, the captain, tells you to go towards, and if you're mature, you can go towards it and you can do it. Guys, this is important because there are things that Christ, there are works that he has prepared in advance for us to walk in. That's Ephesians 2.10 that came earlier in the book. That we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And if we are not mature, the head can be telling the body to do something, but we're like an unmanned ship if we're immature. And we can say we're going to go for it, but if we're not mature, we're just going to be tossed to and fro, and we're never going to arrive at the destination that Christ has us, wants us to arrive at. Are you following me? This is the image that Paul puts forth, that there are things, guys, and it's such a privilege. It is such a privilege. That Christ saves us. He calls us to himself. We are his bride. He is the lover of our soul. He wants to be intimate with us. He brings us into his family. He's going to protect us, provide for us. But there's stuff that he wants us to do. 
And that's not a burden. That's a privilege. And the question is, are we mature to carry out, to carry out his mission? The second clue that he gives here, um, along with this concrete image of a boat that is either manned or unmanned, and obviously we want to be a manned boat, everybody at their specific assignment and task that they're doing, that we can arrive where we need to. <coughs> Excuse me. But the second one is a little bit earlier at the beginning of, of verse 13. He says, until we all, everybody say all, all, everybody, all. Oh, so I was saying all, yeah, you said it again, that's fine, that's cool. Thank you for being so obedient, by the way. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. So I know we're talking about our identity corporately here, that corporately, together as a group, that we be mature, okay? But the mature group is made up of mature parts. And guys, it is his will for you that you grow in maturity, it's not going to be possible to have a mature body, a mature church, church if there are not mature individual parts. And what I want to point out, and, I, and I'm, I'm getting excited about this because this is good news, is guys, you can live victoriously. You can. It is his will for you in Christ Jesus. And it's not just you. It's, just not, it's not by just your best white-knuckled effort that you're just going to try harder. But it is through abiding in him. And this is the clue that he gives us here that I wanted to point out in verse 13 again. Look very specifically. I want you to see where I'm getting this. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now this, this word for knowledge here is the one that's um, gnosko. is almost always used in the New Testament. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just knowing math. It's the way that I know my wife. It's not just knowing statistics about your sports team. It's about how you know your kids. That it is a relational, intimate knowledge. In fact, the Gnosko, it, it was used as a Jewish idiom for, you know, like Adam knew his wife. And she conceived, it, it conceived and bore a son. It, it, it's a Jewish idiom for intimacy between a man and a woman. And here's why, what I, why I'm making such a big deal about this and how, why I want to point this out. is because you cannot separate maturity from intimacy. You can't separate them. If you want to be mature, you have to have a love relationship with Jesus. You have to be intimate with him. There is no maturity apart from that. That's the type of knowledge that he's talking about. And it seems to me that sometimes we, we feel like, I don't know, like we almost have to pick one or the other. So I, I know people, and maybe, hopefully this makes sense, you would agree with this, but it seems like there are groups of people that outwardly, they look very mature. They don't do anything bad. They don't, you know, as I always say, drink, smoke, or chew, or run with girls that do. And they've kind of got their life all cleaned up, and it looks very pretty. But I never hear them talk about the, how they love Jesus. I never hear him talk about just what Jesus is speaking to him and how they spent time with him and how they like to just linger in his presence. But then on the other hand, sometimes I've got people that every time you talk to them, man, God, God spoke this to me this morning. God's speaking to me. God's, and he's doing all this and he's constantly speaking to them, but they've got massive things in their life that are not very mature. 
Sin habits, and listen, we've all got sin, I've got sin, we've all got things we're struggling through, but as they speak about this intimacy with Jesus, it's not producing any functional maturity over here. Does that make sense? And this is why this is important for us in understanding what I'm talking about when I'm talking about us pursuing maturity and that being Christ's will for us. That there's always going to be intimacy involved, true love, devotion for Jesus. It's It's the bride part that I was talking about earlier. But there's also gonna be maturity where, man, when I was a child, I, I acted like a child, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. That we lay aside every sin and every weight which so easily entangles us, and we run with endurance the race marked out for us, the writer of Hebrews would say. And so we have to have both this maturity, true maturity is always, I guess, accompanied by true, true intimacy. And guys, we need to pursue this. My boys, for Christmas, uh, we got them each a door gym. Do you know what that is? Anybody? It's like a little pull-up bar that you pull, put on your door. And I can only do about two because I'm so fat. And I keep telling them, I'm like, Daddy's really strong, but I can only do two because I weigh so much. Um, but you put this on there, and they're, you know, they're like doing the maturity. And so, or, or they're get, you know, trying to get, get buff, get ripped, or whatever. <clears throat> Ephraim, some more than others. Um, constantly walking around the house flexing, you know. And I say all this, not just Ephraim, but all of them. Here's, here's my, my point, if I can get there, is that they're all kind of walking around, yeah, man, I did, I did 10. Can you do more than that? You know, and then they're like, no, I did 11, and they're trying to out, outdo each other. And they're all, you know, they're, they're 13, 11, and 8, and so they're, they're coming into the season where they're moving from being boys into young men or manhood, okay? And here's the thing. They're embracing it. They want to grow up. They want to become strong. They want to work out and and pursue this thing that's already naturally happening in them, but they still want to pursue it themselves. And and that's good, right? That's good. But guys, sometimes in the body, it's like we don't want to pursue it. Sometimes in the body of Christ, it's like, we just think that, well, we can just sit back and just, you know, not do anything, not run, not play, not, you know, work out or whatever, and yeah, we're going to grow up, so, you know, it's going to happen, and God's sovereign, and so, you know, we just let it at that, and we'll just, you know, it, it'll work itself out. That's not the attitude that we're to have. We're to embrace this thing that God is already doing in us, that he's called us to. We pursue it along with him. Does that make sense? That is God's will for us, is maturity. Man, he's got, he's got stuff for us to do. And now, so the, the, the next question that ties in with this, and again, this is all, I believe, very practical and important, but how does this maturity happen? So this is what it is, is that we would not be an unmanned ship, that we'd be able to go where Christ wants us to go, that we'd be able to obey what he tells us to do, that there would be intimacy involved with it. But, but how, do we, how do we get there? Okay, two primary things. One, I'm going to spend more time on the one than the other. Here it is. Maturity happens by each member being tuned to Christ and each member speaking the truth about Christ to each member. That might be confusing, but I'll say it again and I'll break it down. That's right. It's by each member being tuned, tuned in to Christ and each member speaking the truth about Christ to each member. Okay, so there's a role that we play in this. First of all, 
In verse 15 and 16, I won't spend as much time on this because we kind of covered this when we were talking about bride and family a couple, a couple weeks ago. But he says in verse 15, rather, he says, than being immature, we're to speak the truth in love, okay, and we are to grow in every way, listen, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom, again, Christ, the head, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, okay? So the first part of this is being, each one of us being tuned to Christ. Let me just quote Tozer here, and I think A.W. Tozer can explain this better than I ever could. Here's, here's the illustration that he gives. He says this, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are one of one accord being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So also 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God and strive towards closer fellowship. Here's this point, and I mentioned this the first week, is that unity is really just a byproduct, maturity also, of us being tuned into Christ, that it's from him when he tells us to exercise, when he tells us to obey, when he tells us to be strong. If we're tuned to him and simply obey, he's going to get us there. But here's the other part. It happens by each one of us being tuned to Christ, but also by each one of us speaking the truth about Christ to each one of us. And this is what I want to spend some time on. Verse 15. Because guys, you matter. You do not get to choose whether or not you affect the maturity of Mercy Hill Church if this is where you call home. You affect it. The question is, are you going to affect it positively to build the rest of the body up? And are you going to be intimately connected to the rest of the body so that you also can be built up? Or are you just going to be kind of hanging on? You're going to be the part that's not exercising, that's not growing strong. Here's what he says we need to do. We speak the truth in love. Now this truth that he's talking about here, I want to point out some verses very quick. Um, uh, back in verse, uh, is it verse 7? Uh, no, I'm sorry, not verse 7. Uh, verse 13, you know, that we're all attained to the unity of the faith, faith. Verse 15, that we're speaking the truth in love to one another. I want you to jump ahead uh, to verse 21. Helps us understand what the truth is that he's speaking of. Verse 21 of chapter 4, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Also, down in verse 25, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Verse 29 doesn't mention truth, but it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building others up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The way the body is built up is by each part speaking the truth about Christ to each part. And Alan just did that for us this morning. Now listen, that's not the only way you do it. Only way, the only way you have to do it. But you and I, our responsibility is to remind each other about what Christ has already done for us. 
Speaking the truth in love does not necessarily mean, although at times it's necessary, that we need to be pointing out every flaw and every sin and everything that's wrong in somebody else. It means that we're reminding each other about what is actually true of us in Jesus. It's all about what he's done. And man, we do not have time. But if you'll just go this afternoon and if you'll just read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 and just get that down, you'll have a lifetime of stuff to remind other people about. That he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will that he's made known to us the mystery of his will, that he's sealed us with the promised Holy Spirit, that he's given us an inheritance in heaven that's never going to fade away, that once we were dead in our trespasses and sins and now we've been made alive by his grace, that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that we are actually, this is incredible, this is in Ephesians chapter 3, that we as the church, God is glorifying his name through us to the angels and demons in the heavenly realms. Did you know that? Don't tell me that you don't matter. Don't tell me that the church doesn't matter. Not just this church, but capital C church, the church in general. That God is using us for his honor and his glory, and we are to pursue this as a glorious calling. That's why, again, back in in verse 1, he says, I urge you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. But our role is to speak it to one another. And look at verse 16. This is of the utmost importance and proves what I'm saying here. But from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is, with which it is equipped. And then look at the last part of verse 16. When each part, that's me and you individually, each part of this body, When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see that? You play a role in the maturity of this body. Every one of us. The question is, will you get into this word, be intimate with Christ and remind me and remind others as the truth really is in Jesus. Because guys, I need it. I need reminded about what is truly true about me in Christ. About what Christ has called us to. And you need reminded. And so we're all reminding each other. Do you see the picture? I love that phrase. Each part when it is working properly, and working properly is speaking the truth and love to one another, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When I fell off the roof a couple years ago and broke my neck, uh, it hurt. <laughs> Captain Obvious speaking. And, um, and I lay there for a little bit and then I got up and I wanted to go there, but I went like this. I started walking, and I tried to come back, and I tried to walk over, and I kept walking. I kept walking to my left. That was frustrating, <laughs> that I could not go where I wanted to go because there was a connection broken somewhere between my head and my feet. That wasn't 
that wasn't working. And something needed healed. And guys, Christ has glorious, glorious purposes for us. That's not a boast. It's not because of us. It's because of him and his grace. But we must be rightly connected to each other. And all the little details of how you fit into the body of Christ matter. They really do. Because we want to go where he's calling us to go. This is missed so many times um, because we talk about discipleship a lot. And discipleship is something, it's a good thing that you hear about a lot just in church land these days. And discipleship is everything. But the thing that we miss is that the process of becoming a mature disciple of Jesus Christ is a community project. It doesn't happen outside of the, the church. Um, we don't need any more disciples of Eric. We don't need any disciples of Paul or of Conrad. We need disciples of Jesus Christ. And those disciples that we want happens within the context of the body where each part is playing, is playing a role. You know, one of my favorite things to do on Sunday mornings, maybe I shouldn't tell you this because I don't want you to do what I'm doing. This, is, this, is, this illustration is going terribly already. Um, but I like to sit up here sometimes when the band's going, you know, and everybody's singing and sitting up front. I love to just stop singing sometimes because I hear all of your voices behind me. And for me, those are some of the most powerful moments that help me to worship. I'm not making that up. It's real. Like I love when we're all going and everybody's singing and I just stop and I just listen to the other voices. It helps me to worship. And guys, in the body of Christ, the way he's designed it is that at times, if we're rightly plugged in, if every part is functioning as it should, if every part is singing, if every part is caught up into worshiping Jesus, man, it actually, you can just stop and just listen and be reminded about the truth of Jesus and still worship even though you might not actually be worshiping out loud in that moment. Does that make sense? But see, that, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of it. Um, we spend a lot of time on this. Just one more little thought here. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the way that we think differently. And we, of course, always think of that because we, you know, grew up and, you, you know, we don't just have each our own Bible, but we, you know, have five different copies and, you know, ten different translations or whatever. Um, but back in the day, they didn't ever, there was just not an individual, you know, Bible for everybody. And so look very closely um, at verse 23, and then again at verse 24 and 25. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And always saying there, don't get caught up, what does that mean, spirit of your Just think, think differently. Renew your minds. Okay, well, how does this happen? Verse 24, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Then he says, verse 25, therefore, so therefore going back to, you know, because of what he said in verse 23, be transformed in the, renew in the renewing of your minds. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. See, one of the ways that the renewing of our minds happens is by each one of us speaking that truth, renewing other people's minds about what Christ has done and about what is really, is really true. Um, this is a high, beautiful calling, and it's a privilege 
to pursue it. Um, you matter, guys. You matter to Christ even if you never did anything. He loves you. Um, but you matter and you play a role in our maturity as a church. Um, worship team, you can come up and I'll begin to close. My last point here is just really in summing up. Just what's at stake? You know, why does this, again, what happens if we're not mature? Well, here's what's at stake. Our worship. Our worship in the glory of God, and not just the glory of God, but the pleasure of God. And we don't have time. I haven't had time to touch on every single verse here in Paul's entire flow of thought. But again, there were no, in the original, you know, writings, there were no chapter numbers and verse numbers. It was just a letter. And the flow of thought, when you get to chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. There are several other places in the scriptures where Paul uses this image of a fragrant offering. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, he says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all again. In Philippians chapter 4, he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. His imagery here is that of in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, they had the sacrifice, the animal on the altar, and then they would pour something on top of it. And when you pour something cold onto something hot, this steam, this aroma goes up. And it was pleasing to God. And it's a picture of our worship that when we function as he calls us to function, guys, we are pleasing, we are fragrant. Yes to him, and that's of the utmost importance and I think Paul's main argument here, but guys, also to the world that we smell good, that when people come in, that there's an aroma, a fragrant aroma and an offering of worship that the world would see that we're just trying as much as we can to be connected to our head because he's not only our head he's also our perfect older brother and he's our father and he's our groom he's the lover of our soul and guys I don't all I'm trying to say in all this is this let's pursue that amen let's pursue that together doing I'm going to talk more about this next week. I just, I, I'm so tempted right now to launch into this, and we just do not have time. Next week, if you're able to make it, I'm going to lay out as practically as I possibly can how all this looks, how, what all this looks like specifically at Mercy Hill Church and how you can best get involved. But guys, carrying out the mission of God is awesome. It's so much fun. It really is. It brings joy to your life. Diane was sharing in the prayer room this morning about uh, her and Joe and some others. They're part of on a, the, the board of directors for a ministry, the Jonathan David Foundation, which we support as a church. And they, it's an orphanage over in India. And they're pulling these little kids, literally just like out of the jungle, off the streets, no moms, no dads, nowhere to go. And they build an orphanage and they're bringing them in and they're raising them up. Man, what could be more glorious? What could be, what could bring more joy? than for us as a body to be the hands and feet, that we get to be involved in that. That guys, there is great injustice that goes on in the world with orphans and with widows and with the poor and with the oppressed, and we get to, as his body, be involved 
in making that right, in relieving suffering, in going to the nations, in doing whatever he sets before us to do. It's not a drag. There is no greater joy than this. And this is what he's called us to do. And guys, by the grace of God, I'm telling you, we're going to do it. Amen? We're going to do it. Because Christ is our head. And he's purposed that it be so. Father, please, please help us. Lord, we want to be effective. We want to be mature. We want to be rightly connected to the head. And Lord, we want to speak the truth and love to each other that we would be built up and that we would be strong and that we would be useful to you for your honor and for your glory. To be your body, just as when you were here on earth, Lord, and you went to the oppressed and the poor and the lepers and the lame and the blind and the sick. Father, that we could be a body that goes to where the head still wants it to go which is into those places that the world forgets about. Father, please do in us whatever you need to do to make us into who you want us to be for the sake of your beautiful name. Amen. You guys stand.